last week we talked about discipline. And we did learn some things about discipline. Discipline isn't just God whipping on us. In fact, the word discipline, the Greek word for that, uh, padia, means to train or equip like you would children. To We would say in more modern ways of saying it, like this has been a big thing for the last 20 years, a life coach. You know, God's like a coach, a trainer, a, a father, a parent, a teacher. And so discipline encompassed all those things. And it was always to help us be everything God called us to be. And hopefully we learned some things from that and putting those things into practice. And this week you're going to be, I mean, you're going to be so excited that you're here today for today's topic. I mean, if you're tuning on online, you're going to be saying, man, I'm so glad I got in in time for the word because we're going to talk about, like, this is probably one of the favorite topics of people, self-denial. Okay, so I know you're all just like, oh, man, I'm glad I came here for that. Self-denial. That's right, self-denial. I took a little the opening slide there has a little compass because I believe self-denial helps us keep our compass truly pointed north in our life because everything around us can try to pull at us. And contrary to what we feel like, uh, I'm going to let you, me and you both in on a little secret. The whole world does not revolve around us. I know you say, that just can't be true. That can't be true. Uh, and self-denial kind of lets us realize, hold it, you know, that is true. There are things we should say no to and things we should say yes to. And we should do those things because, remember, we want the life we want most, not just the thing or the moment we want now. And so self-denial helps us, you know, process that and, and be a part of it. So the, the scriptures talk about self-denial. We're going to look at self-denial. It usually isn't everybody's favorite topic. In fact, you think, who here wants to hear about self-denial? Probably all of them, not me. I don't really want to hear on the topic. But you will as we look at it and see how the scripture uh, deals with it. Um, we're, we're shooting for, again, what we want most, uh, what we're really looking for. Uh, I remember Zig Ziglar came across my mind early this morning. Uh, he used to say something. And he would say, what you're getting ready to do, does that move you closer to or further from your goal? Does it move you closer to or further from your goal? What's, that's what we've been saying. Does it, does it move you towards what you want most? Or is it simply what you are aching for right now? And sometimes the now is the enemy to what we want most. And self-denial helps us deal with that as well as, as discipline. But I want us to see the nature of God. Let's, let's look at the nature of God. It's, it's in the opening book of the Bible, Genesis, the book of beginnings. It says in Genesis, we're going to look at chapter 2, verses 8 through 9, 15 through 17. Now the Lord God had planted the garden in the east in Eden, and he put the man he had formed in that garden. The Lord made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground. So I want you to catch that. He made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground. Trees that were pleasing to the eye, and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and care for it. And the Lord commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. So when we look at the Garden of Eden, there's self-denial going on. There is self-denial even going on in the Garden. But I want you to see the generosity of God because Satan is masterful 
at pointing out what you can't have and then saying, oh my goodness, what a stingy God you serve. There's, we don't know how many, but there's all kinds of trees. They're all beautiful. They're all good for food. There's just one that he says, don't eat it or you will certainly die. Now, if I were rich like Jay Leno and had, I don't know how many of you know, Jay Leno loves cars, so he has lots of cars. If I had, we'll just say I had 100 cars, and I told you, you can come over, here's the code to the garage, there's 100 cars in there, old-fashioned cars, exotic cars, you know, muscle cars, there's, there's everything in there. You can come drive whatever you want, whenever you want, as much as you want. And I brought you over to the garage, and I said, but see this one car right here? Do not drive it. It's dangerous. It will kill you. And then I say, I'm not talking figuratively. You get in that thing, you end up dead. But there's 99 other cars you can drive. I don't think anybody would leave and say, Tracy's so stingy. I mean, he's so, you know, holding back on me. You would think, what a generous guy. And you would, you would say, okay, I'll, I'll avoid that car. And that's kind of the nature of God. And if I told you not to drive that one car, you wouldn't think, this is just an overwhelming amount of self-denial. I just can't do that. But there's only one tree in the garden. Only one tree in the garden out of all those that the Lord said, don't touch it, don't eat it. Actually, he said, don't eat it, or you will certainly die. I'm saddened that people around the world and even a high percentage of Christians think that Jesus' request for self-denial is actually so cruel and so overwhelming. It's really not. When we look at God's generosity, we say, where do we get the idea that God's call to self-denial is so harsh on us? I'll tell you where we get it from. We get it from the devil. In chapter 3 of Genesis, the first seven verses, in steps the devil and he goes to Eve and says, hey, Eve, he said, it's just a real shame that you can't eat any of these trees. You can't eat from any of them. And she said, that's not true. God said we can eat from any of the trees in the garden except the tree in the midst of the knowledge of good and evil. We're not supposed to even touch it lest we die. And, and the devil, this is kind of my paraphrase, the devil says, now let me get this straight. Who told you that? God. God said, don't eat of that tree or you'll die. And he goes, That's just like God. What he's doing is he's not letting you enjoy your best life. Because he knows that when you eat from that tree, you're not going to die. You're going to be like him. And he doesn't like the competition. He likes to keep all this to himself. And so if you eat that, man, life will be good. You'll be like God. She ponders that and looks at the tree, and the Bible says this about it. The Bible says she looked at the tree and saw that it was pleasing to the eye, and the fruit was good for food, and it was desirable to make one wise. And she ate and gave to her husband who was with her. In the New Testament, we read the things we're supposed to avoid is the lust of the eye, uh, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. All three things, the very three things that Satan pushed on Eve is the same thing he's peddling today. And so we need to be careful because what, what and, and I'm a bit guilty of this too, you think, 
how did the devil beat me up with the same old trick he's used a hundred times? It's like we should at least get, no, that's not going to happen again. At least make him get creative. But he keeps doing the same thing over and over. So we look at Jesus. He's talking in Mark 8. And said, then he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things, this is Jesus talking, and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed. And after three days rise again, he spoke plainly about this, but Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. One of the Gospels said, he said, this will never happen. And then we read on. But when Jesus turned and looked at the disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan. He said, you do not have in mind the concerns of God, but mere human concerns. It's very interesting that Peter became Satan's mouthpiece for that moment. And you think, man, that's awful. Hey, you and I have all done it too. Where we have not spoken the will of God, the things of God, we've spoken out of our flesh or what the devil would like. And And I think it's interesting that Jesus looks at Peter and says, get thee behind me, Satan, because Satan's concerned not with the plan of God, but with the plans and wishes and whims of man. He wants to keep us stuck. So he, Jesus, called the crowd to him along with the disciples and said, whoever wants to be my disciple must, what's the next two words? Deny themselves. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life life will what? Lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? I want you to notice eternity is like a really, really, really long time. I also want to tell you that really your best life is going after God, serving Jesus. But even if it wasn't, even if it was, wow, serving Jesus is going to be awful for I'm going to live to be 100. It's going to be awful for 100 years, but then I get all eternity in heaven and bliss and all that. It would still be worth it, but I want to tell you serving Jesus is not awful. It's the best life you can live. I heard a salesman say one time who loved his product. He said this, and a lot of people, when they think of salesman, they think, oh, you know, somebody's going to, because we've probably all been scammed by a salesman at one time or another, and so we think, yeah, salesman, man, they, they lie, they do this and that. But if you're a person of integrity and you sell a product that you really, really love and believe in, then here's your goal. If I can get you to feel about my product the way I feel about my product, you'll buy it. Well, I'm selling something today. Now, I may say, well, that's, that seems demeaning. I don't mean it to be, because I mean it in the pure sense. If I can get you to feel about Jesus the way I feel about Jesus, everyone will leave here born again. It just, you just will, because I'm telling you, it's the best life you'll ever live. Well... You say that, but people who love Jesus have been murdered. Best thing that ever happened to them. You think, what? You know, there's actually a, a blessing from God for martyrs, people who have died for the cause of Christ. 
I don't think Stephen, when he was being stoned to death, said, I didn't sign up for this, man. No, it says his face shone like an angel. And he looked up to heaven and saw Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. Now, I never heard this the other day, and I don't remember who told me. Maybe it was one of you. Maybe I heard it somewhere. It says the only place in the Bible that we see somebody getting a standing ovation from Jesus. Because normally he's seated at the right hand of the Father, but he's standing at the right hand of the Father while Stephen is being stoned to death, and he steps right into the presence of the Lord. Hmm. If I can get you to feel about Jesus the way I feel about Jesus, you'll want to know him. But, are you and I called to self-denial? 100% yes. Do we want to deny ourselves in any way? Now, I'm not talking spiritually speaking, but just humanly speaking. The answer is no. No one wakes up today and thinks, I wonder why, how I can deny myself. No. But do we also realize, I mean, honestly, think about this. Do we honestly, we do realize this, don't we? That sometimes what we want now is the enemy of what we want most. What you want now is often the enemy of what you want most. And we're all shooting for the life we want most. But when we hear Jesus say, if anyone wants to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. We also hear another voice. It's the voice of the enemy of our soul. And what Jesus is saying, take up your cross, deny yourself and follow me. The enemy of our soul, the devil, is whispering in our ears. Wow. Do you not understand what Jesus is asking you to do? He's asking you to be miserable. If you share your faith with people, there'll be people, if they'll be honest with you, they'll say, I just, that sounds awful to deny yourself. But see, they only know a little sliver of the Lord. So the enemy of our souls is saying, he's calling you to give everything up. He's calling you to forfeit. He's calling you to lose everything. It, it just basically, this is what Jesus is asking of you. Anything you love, anything you enjoy, get rid of it. That Jesus' desire is to take that little sliver of happiness you have and just tromp it into the dirt so you can be a broken, miserable, flunky and you can be another one of his minions who have decided to yield your life to his purpose. That's what the enemy will whisper in your ear. But I want to say this. What does God say about himself? And now you could say, well, it's not great to get a, a recommendation from the guy who is, of course, going to recommend himself. But here's something about God. He doesn't lie. Now, I know no one in this room lies, but if you were going to lie, here's the two main reasons you lie. One is to gain an advantage over someone. So if you've ever been duped by a salesperson, they were going to get a commission, and they lied to you to take advantage of you so they could sell you something. The second reason that you lie, I mean, again, not you, but other people lie. The second reason is because you're avoiding punishment. There's never been a child, I'm sure, that came home an hour late over curfew that didn't tell some kind of a story some kind of a story about oh, the car broke down four times. Really? Where? I can't really remember. What broke down? Eh, you know, I'm not sure. Okay. So we lie to gain an advantage or to avoid punishment. Let me say something about God. 
He's not worried about gaining an advantage. He has the advantage. He's God. He's also not nervous about what you and I might think. He's not thinking, well, I don't want to tell Tracy the truth because he may punish me. Well, I sure can't punish God. So he tells the truth. But also, even if you didn't like his recommendation of himself, if you'll read ancient and modern stories of people who deeply loved God, they'll tell you what God's like. I mean, not people who kind of heard about him one day 40 years ago in Sunday school or vacation Bible school, but people who love God and have followed God for their lives, what do they say God's like? They say that God is loving and compassionate and kind and gracious, that he doesn't want to steal anything from you. He doesn't want to take anything from you. Again, let's just be logical. What do you have that God has to have? He's God. He's God. So he gets revealed in Scripture, and he gets revealed by those who who know him best as a very loving person who only asks for self-denial to step in when he wants us to get rid of things that bring death into our lives. Now, if you know the Scripture, you know there's something that causes death. It's sin. Sin produces death. And so as God asks you to, be, to step into self-denial, it's usually, almost always, denying yourself of sin. Because he knows sin will produce death, and he came to give you life. Now, you say, but I enjoy sin. Yeah, you probably do. I don't know where Christians started teaching that sin's awful and sin's no fun. and I mean, sin will ultimately ruin things, but I want to tell you what the Bible says. Sin is pleasurable for a season. Sin is fun. I heard one preacher say, if you're sinning and you're not having fun, you're doing it wrong. Because the Bible says it's fun. But it's fun for a season. It's fun for a moment. It's fun for a short time. And then it causes problems. And so God says, as you often hear me say, he's more concerned about you having a great life than a great weekend. You with me? A great life, not just, wow, that was a great party we had. No, a great life. He wants us to have a great life. So we know sin produces death, and so God wants to move us away from death. As we look at self-denial a little further, uh, Jesus has an encounter with the rich young ruler. The rich young ruler's actually been a great rule keeper. Uh, Jesus even confirmed that you've been a great rule keeper, but he said you have an idol in your life, you have a God, and the God is your wealth. He said, I want you to go sell it all, give it to the poor, and come follow me. And the Bible says that the rich young ruler went away sad because he had many possessions. He didn't want to give them up. I think we can all kind of understand that. That was what he struggled with. I also want you to know the Bible records specifically that Jesus looked at him and loved him. He loved him. And so he told him. And then after he leaves, Jesus says, you know what? He says, it's so hard for the rich to get into heaven. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter heaven. And the disciples said, who then can be saved? And he said, with God, it's possible. With man, it's impossible. But all things are possible with God. And then Peter probably thinking, well, there must be something really big for those who have given up stuff. And he says, and we'll pick up on the story there, in Mark 10, 28, then Peter spoke up, we have left everything to follow you. He's probably thinking, what do we got coming? We left everything to follow you. 
And then Jesus said, truly I tell you, Jesus replied, no one has left home or brothers, sisters, mother, father, children, fields for me and for the gospel that will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, fields, along with persecutions, we always love that part, and in the age to come, eternal life. Basically, Jesus is saying, you're not going to be left out. You may have given stuff up. I don't doubt it at all. If you've given stuff up and left it behind, God will make up the difference. Sometimes we say, especially, we don't understand this on this side of the globe, but some Muslim folks who give their lives to Jesus, they lose their whole family. They get rejected. Uh, sometimes it can even be a death sentence in some places, and they lose all their family if they're devout Muslims. And, but I'll tell you what, if they'll follow after God, they'll look around one day in a church like this and say, well, I got a lot of family. You know, God, God has replaced those. I mean, I'm not saying it's not heartbreaking to lose family. It would be, but God says, I'm going to make up the difference. I'm going to surround you with people who love you and care for you, and you'll have more than you ever had before. So the Jesus who said this in John 10, 10, this is the Amplified Bible, Jesus said, the thief comes only in order to steal, kill, and destroy. Let that sink in. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came. Now, when Jesus says, I came, that ought to, our ears ought to perk up. I came. There's several times in the Bible where Jesus said, for this purpose I came, or I came for this reason. I came to seek and save those who are lost. I came to give my life as a ransom for many. I came. Those, those I came, man, you see one of those. Pause, stop, look at that. He said, I came. Okay, okay, well, you're going to give me one of the purposes for your coming. Jesus said, I came that they may have and enjoy life and have it in abundance to the full till it overflows. So now, as believers, because we're supposed to get into the word of God, we talked about that a few weeks ago, we're supposed to rightly divide the word of truth, we're supposed to look at the whole counsel of God. And so we look at that and say, how do we reconcile this God who said, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me, which seems very, you know, like, wow, I'm going to lose everything, with this God, the same guy, Jesus, who says, now, what I want you to do is I want you to have a rich and satisfying life. I want you to enjoy life. I want it to be abundant. I want it to be overflowing. How did those get reconciled? Well, first we have to understand that Jesus is commanding us to say no to things that bring death into our lives. And if some of those things are things that you like to do, remember sin has pleasure for a season, if it's some of those things that you like to do and that you want to do and that you find sinful pleasure in doing, Jesus is telling you, I'm not going to candy coat it, Jesus is telling you as a Christian to say no to those things and deny yourself. Again, why? Because he's trying to rob you of life? No, because he's trying to give you life. He wants, sin produces death. He wants you to have life. He's a life giver. And so we look in Hebrews and it says, talking about Jesus and our walk with him, it says, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. So we, we focus on him. The pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. So don't miss that. He had a goal. He had a plan. I've came to seek and save those who have, are lost. I came to die for a sin-sick, hurting, broken world. 
And so in order to accomplish that goal, he had to endure the cross. It didn't say enjoyed the cross. I mean, it's one of the most brutal, awful ways to be murdered. He endured the cross. He scorned, or some translations say despised the shame. First of all, there's a whole shame to being crucified. It was, it was a death reserved for the lowliest, scummiest criminals on the planet. And although we don't ever paint the pictures this way, and I get why we don't, they were all crucified naked, so you could just add to their public humiliation and shame. And Jesus was no different. He was crucified naked on a cross. And he said, I scorned and despised the shame. I endured the cross and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, which was his ultimate game plan. And it says, consider him, Jesus, who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. You try to deny yourself and you can go, I'm getting, getting weary in this. And then it says, in your struggle against what? Sin. In your struggle against sin. Self-denial is about saying no to sinful pleasure so you can have what you want most. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. So the Bible is not teaching. Don't enjoy a family vacation. I mean, if you were thinking about going out and having a family vacation, then you need to deny yourself, say no to that. I mean, don't, don't, don't pursue a, a furthering your education and pursuing that wonderful career that you feel you would really enjoy. God doesn't want you to do that. Deny yourself. God's not saying those things. Don't get married and have a family. What? You're going to have... Friends over for a cook, a cookout this weekend? No, say no to that. Deny yourself. Don't get that new outfit. Don't just on and on and on, whatever it is. Because when we look at Scripture, God's asking us to deny ourselves of sinful, fleshly pleasure. He's actually given us everything to enjoy. And when you read the Scriptures, you find out that enjoying your family and friendships and all those things are part of this beautiful world that God has given us. And God's not asking you to deny yourself of that. He's talking about saying no to sin because they produce death. Let's look at 1 Peter 4. This helped me a lot in, in growing. I wish I could say I have arrived, but I figured this out. We're always on a journey all of our days of our life. We're growing, but I don't think, I think it'd be scary if any of us thought, I have arrived. I mean, I've, I've reached the zenith of what a Christian can be. No, that's not going to happen, but we keep growing. It says, therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourself also with the same attitude, because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. Now, it's possible, it's probably unlikely that anyone in this room right now will actually die for the cause of Christ or the gospel. I mean, it could happen, and we should be prepared to do that. We should be prepared to say, if I, if I have to lose my life for Jesus, then so be it, because my life is his, and there's a whole eternity ahead. But it's probably unlikely that any of us will die for the gospel. But look at what it says as well. It says, because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. You may not have to die for Jesus in the natural where you have to confess Christ and lose your life, but I can tell you this, if you're going to follow after Jesus, be prepared to die daily. Be prepared to die every day to flet your flesh and sinful desires. 
because we are like sheep led to the slaughter, the Bible says. I think Paul said that because we're daily dying. Remember we looked at a few weeks ago that we're living sacrifices. We're dying daily. Then it goes on to say, as a result, those who are willing to die in the flesh, as a result, they will no longer live the rest of their earthly lives for, what's the next word? Evil human desires. Do you see what we're being called to deny ourselves of? It mentions sin, evil desires, those kind of things. So we're no longer going to live for evil human desires. We're going to live for the will of God. And so as we do that, we get more life and more life and more life. So when I say no to sin and yes to God, I grow and my life gets fuller. It's true of any relationship. In, in a marriage relationship like Darlene and mine, we have to deny ourselves of certain things and it causes us to grow because two people come together and they're different. And I want you to know that in your flesh, you're very different from a holy impeccable God. And so you, you're yielding stuff. And in marriages, there's a, a yielding. And if you'll find a relationship where only one person is yielding, uh, it's not a really good relationship. It's where there's this mutual yielding that's going on between people, and they grow together. Darlene and I are very, very different, really, in our personalities. And it's funny because we think, oh, man, we were a perfect fit. But we were talking about this the other day. I don't think we were a perfect fit. I think we became a perfect fit. Well, how'd that happen? By years of adjusting this and changing that and adjusting this and changing that. It's hard work for Darlene, but she's made progress, and I just want to... I want to celebrate her today. <laughs> We're all changing. We're growing. And then we become, we just fit better. And as we grow, we're going to fit better. Now, the cool thing, we got a great God who never changes. He doesn't have to. He's impeccable. He's flawless. And so we're changing all the time. And it's always for our good. It's always for our good. God's crazy in love with us. Here's three insights for us. Focus on what you want most, not just what you want now. Because what you want now is often. Now, if it's not opposed to what you want most, then that's fine. But if, if Darlene and I were in a fight and I wanted to be violent with her, I, I, I may feel, I, seriously, I may say, that's what I want right now. And we don't get to that, but I just want you to know. That it, but even if I did, if that's what I wanted now, I have to say no to that because what I want most is a wonderful marriage. So I have to say no to what I want now. Does that make sense? If you've decided that you're going to eat healthy, well, we were at the Cheesecake Factory the other day. They, they, it's like drugs, man. They peddle that. They come by and, and say, hey, man. They said, you, you want a cheesecake? And, and we rarely ever get the dessert there. We're always full by the time we end up having a meal. And we say, no, we don't want it. And they say, well, I'm just going to leave you this little thing here just in case. And then you go there and say, well, you ready for some cheesecake? They say, no, we don't want it. And they say, really? How about if you take it home? I mean, man, they're pushing. They're, they're pushing that stuff. And if I decided I'm going to eat healthy, I realize that what I want now, you know, the cheesecake, is sometimes the enemy to what I want most. And that's, that you can play that out in anything in life, but I hope we're going to play it out in our spiritual lives since that's what we're here to grow in. The third thing, or second thing, you look to Jesus as your example. He, he suffered. We may have to suffer. He endured things. We may have to endure things, but we endure things and suffer because we got a goal ahead. He had a goal. The third thing, 
is train yourself to suffer in your flesh. Now, what I mean by that is what we just talked about in Peter, is when you say no to your flesh, your flesh wants to get its way. My flesh wants to get its way. When we say, when you hear me say, you know, one thing about this culture is, you know, everybody just wants to get and do what they want, how they want, where they want, with who they want, you know, blah, 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 blah. But I'm the same way and you're the same way. So when I say, when my flesh says I want something and I say no to it, it's very infantile. It wants to pout and it wants to moan and it wants to whine. It wants to complain. You just say, hey, flesh, you're just going to have to suffer. Now, by the way, just so you know, I'm not talking about physically harming ourselves. We're all on the same page here. I'm not talking about some of those people that used to beat themselves with whips and stuff because, oh, I did something, you know, bad and God's mad at me and I'm going to punish myself. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the natural inclination. I want to do something that's not good for me or sinful even, and I say no to that. My flesh will complain and I have to get my flesh and allow it to suffer. And if you do that long enough, you'll be free from that sin. It'll no longer master you. And lastly, I want us to be aware of this. We cannot do this on our own. I think we loop to this every single week. Without the power and presence of God, we can't do it. You're not going to say no to very much in your life without the help of God. And also without a vision of where your life's going. And I want you to have a spiritual vision of where your life's going. Because most of the time we just float around, you know, down the river, wherever it takes us, because we don't have any vision for where we want our lives to go. I want us to at least have a vision that I need to be everything God's called me to be. I need to be a follower of Jesus. And so that's going to require me to say no to some things I shouldn't say no to, and yes to some things I should say yes to. So in Titus 2, 11 through 13, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to how many people? All people. It, now we... Every time I teach on this, I say this. We have to figure out what the it is. Well, the it is, if we look at it, is the grace of God. So it could read like this. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. The grace of God teaches. The word teaches is padia, same thing we looked at on discipline. It, it can be translated teach, discipline, or train. The grace of God teaches us, disciplines us, trains us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. And to say yes to living self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So we need the grace of God to enable us, empower us, to train us, to equip us. We need the power of God. Jesus said, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm not going to leave you as powerless. I'm going to send another helper just like me. And that helper is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes to enable us, to empower us, to counsel us, to help us. The, the one word Jesus used, paraclete, means one called us alongside to help us. The Holy Spirit comes alongside to help us. If we try to get around the Holy Spirit's help, we don't make much progress. So we need the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will instruct us, teach us, correct us, rebuke us if necessary, discipline, train because his goal is that we live a life of holiness. Did you even hear his name? Holy Spirit, that we live a life of holiness, which will indeed be our best life. It will be our best life. When you think of the problems, the shipwrecks, the trials, the, the issues you have had in your life, 
I highly doubt many of them were connected to the fact that really you were just living a little too much like Jesus. Most of the problems, trials, tests, rough spots you got into, trauma and drama you had, if you trace it back, it's because oh, I indulged some sinful passion or lust, and this is what happened. So the Holy Spirit wants to say, how about we not do that, and we still have a rich, blessed, and enjoyable life in the Lord. So it's good stuff God has for us. In fact, James says, the brother of Jesus, I think it's James 1.17, he said, every good and perfect gift is from above. And comes from the Father of lights. It comes from our heavenly. Every good and perfect gift comes from God. So God's showering good and perfect things on our lives. And I want us to be continually aware of our need for the Holy Spirit's power and us cooperating with the Holy Spirit. Now, next Sunday's Pentecost Sunday, if I got my calendar right. And so we're going to talk about the power of the Holy Spirit. You say, finally, off of self-denial. Yeah, we'll be off of self-denial and into the power of the Holy Spirit, which is a power that helps us live a self-denied life and a life for Jesus. So we'll look at the power of the Holy Spirit who came upon the, these Christ followers in Acts chapter 1 and 2, and amazing, crazy, wild, miraculous things happened, and something was born that day that never existed before, the church. You and I, we are the church and it came into life in Acts chapter 2. The church is the body of Christ, and we are the body of Christ. And so we will look at the power and presence of the Holy Spirit next week. And this week, here's what I want us to tell us. Let's not just go try to live right. Let's train to be right. When, when, when we try, say, yeah, I think this week I'm going to try to do right. You know, I can tell you this. I... I will oftentimes say, okay, I'm, I'm going to try to eat right. When I try to eat right, I never eat right. When I say, hold it, I'm going to train. I'm going to, I'm going to be instructed. I'm going to, I'm going to take the instruction of God. As we do those things, and we're not just loosely trying, we're saying, you know what, I'm going to submit myself to the Lordship of Jesus, and I'm going to allow him to transform my life. That's that Greek word we looked at, the discipline, the training, the teaching of God. And that's what empowers us to be who God's called us to be. So I imagine there's a thing or two in your life where you think, yeah, I kind of recognize a sinful passion I need to deal with. And I, now you may be here today, and I, I'm not beating you up for this. Maybe you're here today and you think, when you said sinful passions, I thought about 27 things I needed to deal with. I get that. But pick one or two, ask the Holy Spirit, what's a couple of the main things that I need to work on? And just say, with your help, Holy Spirit, I'm going to submit myself to practice dying in my flesh, to suffering in my flesh. But I can tell you that little phrase we talked about, once we go from discipline, we'll get to desire, and then we'll get to delight. And if we keep dying in our flesh, there'll come a point where actually to do what's right is what we desire that we don't have to fight that anymore. It's become a part of who we are because we've practiced. And the scripture talks about that, about that these things happen to those who have been trained by the word of God. And so we let the word of God train us. So let's pray together 